Hello and welcome to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. My name is Nick Zararis. It is the Friday episode and boy, oh boy, did the Rangers need that win last night in Buffalo. Uh, I'll get into a big picture talk Rangers uh, riding solo today. Uh, when it comes to the Ranger psychosis, I usually like to spare another individual that that anguish of me complaining for 40 minutes or so. Uh, there will be some Ranger guests down the line. I know I've talked to a few people who want to jump on just to kind of shoot the shit about hockey because, you know, there's still a pandemic going on, so we can't go to games together and talk about it. But before I get there, please, please, please help grow the show. I'm going to keep saying it every single episode when you're starting from literally square one with zero, zero, zero in every single column. Every single listen counts. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on Apple, follow on Spotify or whatever platform you get your podcast from. Really does help. Really lets me know that what works and what doesn't work. The more listens an episode gets, the more likely I'm to follow the pattern of a successful episode to make a better episode. So, big picture-wise, coming into this season, I did not have particularly high expectations for the Rangers for a few reasons. First of all, the division realignment was tough. Really, really tough. Extra difficult games, you're seeing the same team twice in two days, you're more inclined to split a lot of games, be hard to build momentum when you see the same team so many times. And yes, I understand that momentum is not a quantifiable thing, but it's a tangible thing. You can tell when a team is feeling it, they're playing a little above their means, their passes are a little crisper, they're skating a little faster, the power play hums. You know what quality hockey looks like and what a team playing with a little bit of giddy up in their step looks like. I didn't expect that from the Rangers, and thus far, it's been relatively inconsistent. So, with that little bit of a tease, I'll see you guys in a sec on the other side of this drop. Pass up in the wing for Eichel. Eichel flipped it, but went off the skate, and the Rangers get it back again, two on one, and over the line, there's a shot off the goalpost, though they score! That went in and out, but the Rangers have won this game in overtime. And with that... I'm just going to jump right into it. They, Rangers, have played pretty decent hockey thus far. I know the record 2-4-1 is not pretty. I understand opening night and the first game against Buffalo on uh, Tuesday were bad. Just outright stinkers. There's nothing you can do about those. They're going to happen. But in five of the seven games, the Rangers have played sustainable hockey. When I say sustainable hockey, I mean they're doing things that lead to scoring chances. When I talk about hockey, when I'm evaluating, when I'm scouting, when I'm amateur scouting, I want to see sustainable things. Shooting percentage is not sustainable. Save percentage, not sustainable. You know what is sustainable? The guys creating transitions, whether it's defensemen skating the puck out of their own zone to bring it to the neutral zone and dumping it in, it's offensive zone guys winning 50-50 pucks to control the puck in the corners and then getting it back up to the points and beginning a cycle. You want to see those things. 
as far as statistics, transition play, successful zone entries, zone denials, those are tangible things that are that are sustainable no matter what the score is in every game. If your defensemen are holding the blue line and making the other team dump the puck in to go and get it, your defense is playing well because the other team doesn't have the puck. That is the goal in today's NHL because everybody is so fast, everybody is so skilled, you don't want the other team to have the puck. If you have the puck, they can't score. That's the core tenet of today's NHL. You want to evaluate it through that lens. Are these guys actively creating scoring chances? And even if they're not converting them, are they making enough of them? You want to, more often than not, if you create more scoring chances than the other team, you are going to win. Thus far, in five of the seven Rangers games thus far this year, they've created more scoring chances than the other team. Second game against the Islanders, both games against the Devils, both games against Pittsburgh, and then the second game against Buffalo, they created more scoring chances than the other team. And even though the results weren't there, the process is there. They're giving up a lot fewer chances than last year, which is what I'm extremely encouraged about from an underlying statistics perspective and from just a watching-the-game-night-to-night perspective. They're slowly getting better in their own end. They're still not a good defensive team, but their defensemen are good with the puck. If they have to get the puck, if they're defending their own net, they are not good at that. Not not a single one of the Rangers defensemen is good in front of their own net. Adam Fox is not bad. He's not good. Ke'Andre Miller is extremely raw and still trying to figure out his size. He probably will get better with time in front of his own net. Jacob Troop is awful in front of his own net. Tony D'Angelo is horrendous in front of his own net. Jack Johnson, enough said. Ryan Lindgren, he's small. He gets bodied around his own net quite a bit. He's not awful. He's still not good. I am encouraged with the scoring chances the team is conceding because they're conceding a lot fewer, which is important. In the grand scheme of things, they're giving up a lot fewer chances than they have the past few years. Anyone who's read any of my work or has listened to me talk about the Rangers on the podcast before knows I am extremely skeptical of David Quinn as an NHL head coach. He's had This is his third season in the league, and in his first two years, the results were not significantly different one year from the other, even though they gave him a significantly better team the second season. And before you tell me they were a fringe playoff team last year, it's very, very, very important to keep that in the context of Artemi Panarin having one of the best even-strength seasons of all time, anchoring the second-line scoring. And getting above-average goaltending that was better than what it was expected. Shesterkin stole them quite a few games. So did Georgiev last year around February-March when they went on that really nice run up until Kreider broke his foot in that Thursday or Friday night game against the Flyers. I forget what day of the week it was. And then 
going into the pause, there were real question marks about the state of the team. And then in the bubble, obviously, they got run off the rink in three straight games. It was not great. I still get frustrated with little things about the team, and I'll talk about that a little later on. But just big picture-wise, you have to like what you are seeing from the skaters. The defense sands Jack Johnson. It's not giving up a ton of scoring chances. The thing I will say is it is not pretty the way the team has played defense in some of these games. They still take too many bad shots from the point that end up going the other way as odd man rushes. And that's where a lot of my frustration with the Johnson-D'Angelo pairing stems from is that D'Angelo just fires shots from pretty much anywhere along the blue line without really much consideration of if they're actually going to get to the net or the end boards. And he, I don't want to say he hangs Johnson out to dry because Jack Johnson's not a good skater either way. His positioning's not great often. And it makes his, it makes his job a lot more difficult. If they can get D'Angelo to take better shots, I think that'll help with the odd man rushes. Ditto for the Truba k Andre Miller pairing, which has been decent. They're giving up a lot of scoring chances for a first defensive pair. They fall into the we may win, but we may die category, if you're familiar with that. Meaning, they create a lot of scoring chances, but they also concede a lot of scoring chances. I think that'll get better as Miller gets more acclimated. You see the little flashes from Miller, and that's what has me encouraged. Truba, I don't want to be too ridiculously unfair based on a seven-game sample size, but Truba does not look great from a skating perspective, a positioning perspective, and a decision-making perspective. Positioning-wise, he's never pinching back because he always has the puck on his stick at the blue line, and he, like D'Angelo, loves to shoot no matter where he is. Travis Yost of TSN wrote something about this, I think, two years ago. Yes, the summer, right when the Rangers traded for Jacob Truba, that summer he wrote a piece talking about, do defensemen shoot the puck too much? Because historically, up until about the middle of the previous decade, like 2007-8-ish, forwards took close to 65-70% of the shots in a game. It's not close to, it's not 50-50 yet, but defensemen are shooting the puck more now, now, more than at any point in the history of the NHL up until this point. The problem is that some defensemen are a little too shot happy, and they do that for a number of reasons, and sometimes it's just, it's not a good hockey play to shoot the puck because you're turning the puck over. If you shoot on net, okay, maybe you get a rebound, maybe someone's around the net can recover it and you can keep your cycle going, but the problem with all of Truba's shots is He's shooting to score goals, he's not shooting for rebounds, and they're not maintaining possession of the puck. Yost's study, I'll call it, because it was basically a statistical analysis of shots versus shooting percentage, and Truba was the third least efficient shooter in terms of defensemen going up to that point, which was the fall, the summer of 2018. So all of Truba's time with the Jets, he was the third least efficient defenseman in terms of turning the puck over on shots that didn't result in goals. The Rangers can work around this. He does need to shoot less. I think that will help his game a lot because 
he's not a awful skater, but you, you can see when he hot dogs it. And yes, I sound very baseball writer talking about Robinson Cano trying to run out a uh, double play ball when I say that, but Tuber's got to skate, man. He's a decent skater and has to churn his legs a little more when the puck's in transition and he has to turn around and try and catch back. He's not as bad as he's played thus far. His expected goals are nice. He's got to shoot a little less. He's got to be a little better in transition, but... All things considered, the defense has not been bad. And that's not something I expected to be able to say about the team this year, considering how bad it was last year. And yes, I understand there's been a little turnover. They put Jack Johnson in the Mark Stahl spot, and they put Ke'Andre Miller in on that first pair to try and give Truba something steady to play off of. I do think there is something to be said for maybe trying to maximize the skill set pairings a little more. Truba needs a defensive defenseman next to him. Uh, Keandre's fine at that. I do think Keandre is a little bit more... Cl- he's not of the same skill set of Truba, but they're similar. I don't want to say he's an offense-first defenseman because he has such a small sample, but... He's not amazing in his own end yet, and I think that'll come with time. The more experience he gets, the better his positioning will get. And that's really the key to defense at this point in the league, is just having strong positioning and good instincts of where to be, because you're just reacting to what the other team is doing on defense a lot of the time when you're pinned in your own end for extended periods. I'm not as concerned about the defense as I thought I would be. I know this might sound a little crazy, but I am a tiny bit concerned about the goaltending thus far. Again, seven games is a really small sample size to judge upon, but the games they've lost sans the first Buffalo game on Tuesday and opening night against the Islanders, the Rangers have I don't want to. They've controlled the flow of play and have not given up a ton of scoring chances. And their goaltending just wasn't there for them in those close spots. And it's going to be a bit bumpy. Shesterkin and Georgiev are both sharing the load. I understand that, you know, neither of these guys have played hockey in four and a half months since last August. Neither of these guys has played hockey in five, six months. So it's going to be a little bit tricky. Goaltending is one of those things where the more repetitions you get, the more games in a row you play, the better rhythm you get into. And I think that will end up being the case this year. I'm not worried yet about the goaltending. It hasn't been great. I mean, they've given up not great chances, but I will say a lot of the Rangers' issues have stemmed from discipline, bad penalties, and the penalty kill, that kind of thing. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. I'm almost there. But just a little bit more big picture-wise. The top six has not been great counting numbers-wise. Again, like the goaltending, I expect that to get better with the more reps, more game flow these guys get. it, It bears worth repeating. Zabinajad had COVID in December. He had two whole days of practice and training camp, you know, before the season started that first game against the Islanders. So it's expected that he wasn't going to look great right out of the gate. But 
His decision-making hasn't been amazing, and that's what's concerning, is once these guys get into a little bit of a rut, their decision-making, they're not as confident in what they're doing, they start turning the puck over, they start losing the 50-50 pucks, they start taking shots just because they don't want to get pressured while they're controlling the puck, and they become less efficient. They don't do what they're good at. And I think Zabinijad will get it together with time. I don't know if two years from now he should be the guy they lock up long term. I think they are realistically probably going to have to look to move him in a year or so because they need other things and he's just going to be too expensive for the team they have at that point. They're going to need centers. They still need centers, which I'm about to get to when I talk about the injuries because the injuries are an issue because they are so shallow at the center position and it's tricky. There's a lot of pieces that coach David Quinn is trying to juggle and I'm trying to be fair about that. I know, I know, I know. I'm trying to be reasonable and understand that this year's weird. The practices are a little different. They didn't have a full training camp. They didn't have a preseason. These guys haven't had a lot of hockey reps. And like reps in any sport, the more you do something, the better you're going to get at. I think they will, once the results start matching the process, the sky's the limit. This team is really controlling the flow of play. I mean, granted, the teams they've played thus far, the Devils, not extremely talented. The Islanders, good team, but not a lot of individual talent. They look good in both games against Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh's defense isn't great, so the Rangers' offense, their forwards are able to exploit that. Buffalo is interesting. Their defense is not amazing, but it's not awful. So, you got to start thinking about where the Rangers are going to fall this year. And it's interesting to think about in the respect that they are such a young team. And I think that's going to be a problem at points this year. Because I've said this a lot the last few days. I said it in my blog, which I wrote on... Which went up Thursday on Gotham SN. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend checking it out. Because it's a little bit more concise version of this episode of the podcast. And it'll give you the key points that you need to know as we start getting the season rolling, rolling for the Rangers. But an extremely young team does not have experience to draw upon. When I say that, I mean the guys who have been in the league a long time understand how to not get too high after a win or too low after a loss. That really only comes with experience, and when you're such a young team like the Rangers, whose average age is like 25 and a half, 25.3 years old, a lot of these guys just don't know how to handle certain situations. And that is where I start getting into my problems with the coaching staff from a preparation standpoint and a coaching standpoint, where it's the coach's job to get these guys ready to go and to be able to adapt when there's stressors to what you've tried to do. Having good systems is nice and all, but the guy's got to know what to do if something goes wrong. And that's one of the things that's really stood out about David Quinn's tenure as Rangers coach is that when things have gone wrong, the Rangers have not really responded to those situations well. 
I mean, nothing is a stronger indictment of David Quinn's ability to just think on his feet, figure something out, and get the guys going again than the situation in the bubble, where, yeah, they lost Jesper Foss to an injury two shifts into the game. He didn't have anything for them. The Rangers just went out there through the motions through three games against a Carolina team that they beat four times in the regular season. You can't tell me that you beat a team four times in the regular season, then you meet them in a post a playoff series. Granted, best of five, a little different, but you could beat them four times in the regular season. You could win one game in a best of five, right? You got to know something about them to change what you're doing. You can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And I think I think David Quinn is probably a little bit in over his head. He's still kind of treating this like a college team. And I get it. That was his appeal to the organization that if you're going to have a bunch of guys in their early 20s and late teens on a hockey team, who better than to get the best out of them than a college coach? And I get that in theory, but... A lot of the decision-making, the preparation, the kind of things you think of when you think of a football coach, the things that, you know, I find most interesting about the coaching profession, how they handled the preparation process and the getting their guys ready to play, he lacks in that department. The Rangers have a really bad habit of letting things snowball out of their control, and it's where you get into things out of your control how the guys on the ice are processing the game around them how they're handling situations and if they know what to do in different situations you don't want to see your guys panicking and just throwing the puck off net in the offensive zone or trying to just bank it off the glass get it to the neutral zone and pray it hits someone so it doesn't go for an icing you want everyone to play with a level of confidence that Okay, I have the puck on my stick. I have an outlet here and here. You have linear choices, one or the other, quick process, head up the whole way, and know where to get the puck. Those little things are what you want to see, especially from these young guys who the organization is banking so much of this hopeful success on. Adam Fox has been as advertised, if not even better. Fox is the best defenseman on the team. Keandre Miller is extremely young, extremely raw from a talent perspective, but he looks solid thus far. Ryan Lindgren. Did not expect a ton from him. His underlying numbers are not terrific away from Adam Fox, but he's fine. Then you get into Truba. His underlyings this year are fine. They give up too many chances, but they create chances, so you can live with that. Then when you start looking at the forwards, the young guys, the Kako, the Lafreniere, to some extent, Buchnevich, he's older now. He's 25, 26 years old, a little bit different. Zabinijad, same boat, he's 27 now. Kreider's an old man at this point. You got to start seeing the young guys knowing what to do in these situations, and Still on this coaching point, the Rangers need, need, need to eliminate the bad penalties. Going into the game last night, the Rangers were giving up goals on 30% of their penalty kills. The league average is 22.5%. They were giving up 
almost a third of the power plays that they were conceding to the other team were resulting in a goal. Part of that is Jack Johnson's fault, just because he's not a great skater and his positioning is not good. So you're compounding the problem by putting him in a situation where there's only four guys on on your team out there. So there's more space for him to be responsible for. It, it's challenging from uh, a coaching standpoint to meet those limitations. And again, I'm trying, trying, trying to be reasonable. But a lot of these little things are reflecting poorly on the coaching staff. The penalties need to stop. You cannot be taking offensive zone penalties when you are fighting for a 50-50 puck. Losing, not only just losing the zone, but taking a penalty because you were out of position and you were lazy and you didn't want to get back into position and you fired a cross check into someone's lower back along the wall or you stuck your stick out and you caught a skate because you were out of position and you couldn't keep the guy in front of you those are things that reflect poorly on the coaching staff i forget what writer it was i think it might have been vince mercagliato from lohud who wrote about it during training camp he had mentioned that one of the drills he saw the team running through was the defensemen were turning their sticks upside down so they were having to defend with the knob of their stick as opposed to the blade and this drill is designed to get you in a better position to play the puck because you have less stick to work with so you have to be in the perfect position with your body to get the knob of your stick on the puck I'm not seeing a ton of that in terms of positioning from the defense. They're still not great. And speaking of penalties, I've about had it with Brendan Lemieux as a hockey player. He gives you zero as a forward in terms of the offensive zone. He does not create play. He does not have a great shot. He throws his body, and he's in the... I won't say an above-average skater, but in a straight line, he's pretty quick and can throw his body at people. He does not factor into the long-term plans for this team. They cannot give him a contract for $2 million or more a year to play fourth-line wing and take mind-numbingly dumb penalties like he did on Thursday night where he cross-checked Jeff Skinner for no real reason and then kind of stuck his skate in the area where Skinner's face was, and, like, I don't want to say he was trying to, like, you know, cut a guy across the face with a hockey skate, because, like, you know, that'd be, like, appalling and, like, horrendous, but it gave the appearance of that, and not, not good. You don't want guys like Lemieux doing things like that on your team. That kind of thing is not acceptable on a number of levels, but speaking purely back in terms of just taking dumb penalties, positioning, that kind of thing, again, it's on the coaches to have the players in a position to succeed. Thus far, the results have not matched the process, and it's why I'm not being particularly critical of Quinn right now. There's plenty of time for that to change, and this smoke and mirrors show to erode, and the expected goals to go down, the team starts playing worse defense, they start giving up more chances, but thus far, I am not that mad. Yeah, I think they should probably have at least 
one more win, if not two. I'm not going to say they should have won both of the Pittsburgh games, but they probably should have won the Devils game and then one of the Pittsburgh games. If you're sitting at 4-2-1 as opposed to 2-4-1, it's not terrible. Again, I'm not expecting a deep playoff run from a team this young. Granted, it's possible it happens, but... Right now, there are holes on the roster, which brings me to the injury issue down the middle. Losing Heedle is gut, a gut punch. The kid was on fire up until he got hurt from that Evan Rodriguez hit in the uh, Pittsburgh game. It's frustrating when you see a guy who, who's kind of put it together get set back because... Four to six weeks in a 56-game season is a long time. Most weeks, you're playing three or four games in seven days. Four weeks? 16 games? 12 games? Somewhere between 12 and 16 games? You look the bigger picture, a longer range, say his recovery process takes a little longer, it's closer to uh, six weeks. You're talking about 20-ish games he's going to miss from an injury perspective. And they were already shallow going down the middle. Um, Strom did miss most of the third period and the uh, overtime against Buffalo in on Thursday when he took a weird bump. I forget what exactly happened. I only saw that he wasn't on the bench because it got mentioned during the broadcast and they never showed where he took the weird bump that he had to leave the game from. But... You're very shallow down the middle now. I mean, you're looking at Zabinijad, Howden, Blackwell, and you're probably going to have to play Rooney as your fourth-line center if Strom misses any period, extended period of time. One game, you might be able to suck it up and just gut it out and let the rest of you guys do the work, but no Strom for an extended period of time is not a good thing. I have been pretty critical of Strom thus far this year. He has not driven play. He has not sustained his ridiculous counting stats from last year, which were ne- was never going to happen, to be frank, because Panarin played out of his freaking mind last year. Like I said during the introduction, Panarin had one of the best even-strength seasons of all time. Panarin was something like a plus 35 in goal differential when he was on the ice at even-strength, as opposed to the rest of the team. Like, that kind of thing just doesn't happen in the NHL. That's like something you would see in college or junior hockey, that one guy is dominating five-on-five play in terms of goals at that degree. So, again, I'll be reasonable. Strom had a goal the other night against Buffalo. He's not torpedoing their line, but they've got to get him in positions to succeed. they got to take him off the first power play, and they got to get Bucci in there. They got to get back to the four forwards 1D, and you got to have Fox running your power play at this point. And whoever you want to put, you got to have Kreider in front of the net. You have Zabinijad, you have Panarin, you have Fox. And then you you got to have Booch out there, man. Booch is your other best playmaker thus far. Booch has been amazing thus far this season. He's been the Rangers' best forward so far, Pavel Buchnevich. And. Don't let Larry Brooks of the New York Post, who blocked me like a coward when I told him to do his job and ask David Quinn a question, ever live down that he said, you know what, the Rangers need to trade Buchnevich to Columbus for Josh Anderson because they don't have enough north-south skaters. 
I'm tired of friggin' boomer hockey writers talking about straight line, north-south, body, physical. All of that is horse shit. The Tampa Bay Lightning did not win the Stanley Cup because they had Blake Coleman and Barker Goodrow. They won the Stanley Cup because they have Andre Vasilevsky, Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, Victor Hedman. They did not win a Stanley Cup because they traded for two third liners at the trade deadline. Let's dispel that myth. That's just not the reality of the situation, and it's frustrating because Larry Brooks is the hockey columnist of record in the New York metropolitan area, and hockey fans deserve information that is real and accurate, and it's why I... It's one of the reasons I started this podcast, and it's one of the things that wanted me to get into journalism, is that I was so frustrated with the coverage of my favorite teams, because I could see that what the columnist, what the general sports writer, what the beat writer was writing was was not what I was seeing, and not what the statistical record showed. I understand that the statistical record, things like expected goals, Corsi, Fenwick, those kind of things are alien to someone whose entire life has been working in newsrooms and talking to people. But when you can combine, if I had the opportunity to get direct access to the team and I was able to combine that with the statistical access, the stats I had, you could tell such a better picture than the current state of the New York hockey media. And it's frustrating. Enough of me complaining about Larry Brooks. But... One of the things that's really I've noticed is that Kako looks more comfortable. He's still not playing amazing. He's still, you know, a 19, 20-year-old kid trying to get his feet under him. But he doesn't look out of his depth anymore. I won't say he looks comfortable, but he's doing things he wasn't doing last year. He's trying to play along the boards more. He's trying to use his size, win 50-50 pucks, and he's trying to keep possession going, which is important. A couple months, yeah, at this point, a couple months ago when I had Jay Fresh Hockey on and he had written a really long form blog about what Capo struggled with last year, he wrote that Kako would panic when he had the puck in the offensive zone because he didn't want to turn the puck over, so he would just fire it on the net no matter where he was on the ice. And that often resulted in a turnover because they weren't good shots because he wasn't close to the net. He's still shooting kind of from anywhere, but he is trying to maintain a cycle. It's important he gets his feet under him and he really starts to not just look comfortable, but be a positive possession player, be able to control the puck on his stick, be able to start finding people. He needs to develop a little bit better vision of the ice. He needs to he needs to see things visually better so he can get the puck to places it needs to be. Lafreniere scored the game winner last night. Hasn't been bad. He's been solid. I have no complaints about the way he's played thus far. He's had quite a few chances. It, hockey is a fickle sport. The, res, the process is there. The goals. That, now that he got the first one, I assume the floodgates are going to open. He's never looked out of his depth. He's not the most amazing skater, but he's an above average skater. 
His release is strong. He's got really good vision. He's got good positioning. He's got all the traits. They need to give him a little help. It'd be nice if he had a consistent center to play with. Uh, it's a shame Heedle got hurt. I thought that the Heedle, Kako, DiGiuseppe group was nice. I wish that Quinn would just kind of iron out the lines and keep them the same for more than just a period at a time. I understand he's trying to get the offense going, but if you just constantly juggle the lines, no one is ever going to get comfortable playing with each other. And it it is a problem at some point where a coach needs to be able to adapt with the lines that are on the ice, the pairs that are on the ice. They need to, you know, be able to play with each other. There can't be a, okay, three, four shifts in a row, we didn't get anything going. All right, Loff, you're with Kreider and Zabinijad, get something going. You gotta do something to get the lines going as they are. And if over a few games the lines and the pairs aren't working, then you can juggle. But I understand there wasn't a preseason. It's a young team trying to work things out. Again, I want to be reasonable in my criticisms of David Quinn because I understand that the organization is going to continue to give him the benefit of the doubt, even though he doesn't deserve it. Honestly, in my hockey opinion... If my team played as bad as it did in the bubble against the team it took care of in the regular season, I would have thought about firing him. And I understand the financial commitment, the whole we're in a pandemic, you don't want to be paying someone not to coach your team, but he got boat raced in three straight games against a team that, yes, the Hurricanes were pretty good last year, injuries snuck up on them. Made them pretty shorthanded for the second round, the first round series against Boston after the, they ran through the Rangers. But the Rangers didn't look like, you know, they'd ever played organized hockey together before in that series against Carolina. So it was pretty frustrating from a fan's perspective and someone who really watches as much hockey as humanly possible. I mean, as I'm recording, I'm watching the Leafs and the Oilers and. This is like a different game from what the Rangers and Sabres were playing. This is a 200-foot track meet. These teams are just, just so fast, they're constantly generating odd man rushes, and they're exploiting the other team having weak defense, which is something I want to see more of from the Rangers, that when the other team's defensemen aren't as fast, you got to put the puck in a place Kreider can go and get it. you got to use your speed and transition, especially because that's the strength from a talent perspective of the team's defense. Chuba, Fox, D'Angelo, Keandre to some extent. These are all guys who are pretty good with the puck on their stick. You want them skating to create plays. You want them using their vision to get the puck to open spaces, to get it out of your own zone and get it down the ice and create chances. Seven games does not make a season. Expected goals do not make goals. Scoring chances do not make goals. Say, goals saved above expectation are not saves. I understand all of that. Thus far, the results have not been there. That That's a reasonable critique thus far, that the coaching has held the team back a little bit because of the intangible things, the discipline things, the penalties, those kind of things. That is a legitimately 
fair criticism thus far. The results do not match the process, and it's because the margins are small. They've played well enough to win in most of their games, and they've only won two. That is a legitimate criticism that, well, if it's so close, you got to look at the little things. What are the little things? You got to look at special teams. You got to look at penalties. You got to look at intangibles. You got to look at discipline, positioning, all of the things that reflect on the coaching staff in terms of preparation. Those matter when everybody is decent. There are no atrocious teams in the Eastern Division. For as bad as the bottom six of Buffalo's roster is, they still have Eichel, they still have Hall, they still have Sam Reimhart, they still have Victor Olofsson, they still have Rasmus Dahlien. The Devils are going to get Nico Heischer back. Jack Hughes looks significantly better. Damon Severson is a solid defenseman. Mackenzie Blackwood, he's been on the COVID list for about a week and a half now, but he's a legitimate number one goaltender. And everyone else, you run through the list. Washington, Pittsburgh, Boston, Philadelphia, all good teams. The Islanders are not a very talented team, but they are a good hockey team because their coach puts them in a position to succeed. All of that said, as bad as the Rangers' record is, and as bad as they've looked in tiny stretches, whether you talk about the first Buffalo game or opening night, I can't be irate. I can't be steaming mad that they've played a lot of teams close and they just haven't found a way to win yet. I understand that learning to win is part of the development process and they have to do that. Now, if this season goes off the rails and, you know, the Rangers finish with, like, you know, only 20-something wins in 56 games, that would be a disappointment. You want to see them... You want, In a 56-game season, it's probably going to take somewhere in the ballpark of 67, 68, 69 points to make the playoffs in a 56-game season. In an 82-game season, you got to get 90 to 95 points if you want to be in the hunt for the last playoff spot in the division. So just scaling it down, you got to be ballpark. You got to be in somewhere in the high 60s, low 70s for points. You got to have a chance. This cannot be another season of, oh, we're rebuilding. It's fine. David Quinn has carte blanche to do what he wants. They'll figure it out because... The dirty little secret is that as much cap space as the Rangers are going to have after this year because all of the dead money is coming off their books is that a lot of these guys are going to need money. Shesterkin is going to need an extension. Adam Fox is going to be one year away from an extension. Capo Caco, one year away from an extension. Mika Zibinijad, one year away from an extension. Ryan Lindgren, one year away from an extension. There's a lot of flexibility as far as what the Rangers want to do with their roster, and that's a good thing. It gives you opportunities. You can make trades from positions where you have depth. I assume they're going to trade D'Angelo at some point just because they have Dills Linquist waiting in Sweden to come over, and I assume he's probably going to make the team from the jump next year. I assume they're going to trade Ryan Strom because he's going to want too much money to be a third-line center. But... From a building block perspective, 
you're looking at a team that has Panarin, that has Lafreniere, that has Kako, that has Kreider. You're gonna you're gonna have Zabinajad at least two more years. You're gonna have Vitaly Kratsov at some point this year. You look around, there's pieces. Panarin, Kreider. They gotta figure out what they're gonna do with Booch. I would like to keep Buchnevich. Honestly, if you gave me the benefit of hindsight, I would have rather them, you know, locked up Buchnevich long term this past year as opposed to giving Kreider the extension they did, just because I've never been a particularly big fan of Kreider's game. It's very line mate dependent where he needs guys to be able to get him the puck. He's not a good finisher. He's got horrendous hands. He disappears for games at a time and doesn't use his speed and his size enough to create plays to make disadvantages for the other team. And it's frustrating because you see what like the good version of Kreider is. The good version of Kreider is someone like Anders Lee, who, you know, scores 35, 40 goals, where Anders Lee parks his ass in front of the net, but you know, Anders Lee can also finish when he gets good scoring chances, unlike Kreider. It's enough of me complaining about Kreider. This has been about 45-ish minutes, but before I get you guys out of here for the weekend, which I know we're all thankful it is the weekend, even if there is no football, just a reminder, please help grow the show, throw a follow, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Twitter, bump the tweet if you see the tweet. Bump it if you see it on Instagram. Bump it if you see it on Snapchat. Gotta get the TikTok game going. I've got enough jerseys and hats where I could make some pretty entertaining stuff. I'll I'll scheme some things out and start working on that. Gotta get Premiere working on my laptop again. Had to reinstall the uh, Adobe Suite because my laptop is very old and does not like new software. But try and get some video stuff. And please follow the blog at Gotham SN. Rangers blog this week, something about Kobe earlier in the week, there's some Yankee stuff this week because they made a couple of moves, there's a Mats piece going up tomorrow because the Mets traded Steven Mats to the Blue Jays to clear space to make another roster move, there's lots, lots to cover in the New York landscape, and Gotham SN is the best blog possible because we have no vested interest in bullshit. It's my biggest gripe with some of the blogs that are in the New York landscape is that they have agendas they're trying to push and they're trying to say they're always right. And it's why I don't particularly like a lot of the people who publish stuff in the Ranger sphere because they've never been wrong once in their life and they're always right. And it makes their content worse because they're constantly hedging and moving the goalposts and not being reasonable in their criticisms or their praise. Enough of that diatribe. I will see you guys on Monday. I don't know what Monday's episode is going to be about. I'm going to work on it, see if I can get a guest. I think I know who I'm going to get, but next week we're looking at mostly football discussion because the Super Bowl is on Sunday. No, I will not be at Radio Row in Tampa, unfortunately. But there will be a Detroit Lions episode to talk about Matthew Stafford, the good landing spots for him, that kind of thing. And I'm not sure when it's going to happen next week, but we're going to be talking Philadelphia Eagles with someone who loves the birds to his heart and 
he's got a lot, a lot of thoughts about how the Eagles handled Doug Peterson, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I just got to iron out when we're going to record, so that way I know what day it can be published. With all of that said, I will see you guys on Monday. Enjoy the weekend.